Hello, and welcome to the Wind Power Podcast. I'm Ian Griggs, Deputy Editor of Wind Power Monthly. Next week sees the return of the annual Wind Europe Conference, starting on Tuesday the 25th of April and running for three days. Speaking ahead of the start of the conference in Copenhagen, I'm glad to be joined by Sven Utemolen, the current Chair of Wind Europe and Chief Executive of Offshore Wind for the developer RWE. Last month, the European Commission proposed a package of measures which, if enacted, could help boost the fortunes of the wind industry in member states, as well as speeding up the rollout of renewable energy. The proposals include a Net Zero Industry Act, which could boost member states' permitting capacity and reform auction criteria for new wind farms. They also include electricity market reforms, which could expand the use of corporate power purchase agreements across the continent and a Critical Raw Materials Act, which seeks to secure Europe's supply of the essential components the wind industry needs for future expansion. Welcome to the Wind Power Podcast, Sven. I'm glad you could join us. Hello, Ian, and hello to all the listeners. Very happy to be here with you today and uh, grateful for the opportunity. Let me start with a few general questions before we get into the specifics of each of these three proposals. Together, this package of measures could be viewed as a response to President Biden's Inflation Reduction Act, or IRA, as it's also known. In your view, Sven, how does it fall short of IRA? And what parts of IRA would you have liked to have seen translated into the EU proposals? I think the Net Zero Industry Act, as the core of these measures, sets a very broad target to have 40% of the EU's annual green deployment manufactured in Europe and addresses, therefore, vulnerabilities at specific segments in the value chain. I don't think it's purely a response to IRA. These targets can certainly help clarify long-term direction for investors, which offer a degree of economic certainty, which is definitely necessary. The IRA, in contrast, has no broad production targets, which on the one hand is obviously less prescriptive and is also uh, more conducive to competition. I think the one thing that the IRA has is a massive degree of simplicity. It's basically a very simple mechanism providing tax benefits to investments in a green economy. Whereas uh, in Europe, uh, I would say the bundle of measures is less simple. It's also the nature of EU legislation, which then has to be translated into national legislation. And of course, there are state aid guidelines, which can't be ignored. So clearly, it's different approaches. And the final design and the financial resources of the Net Zero Industry Act remain to be defined. You mentioned that what's perhaps missing from IRA is a production target. And actually, the EU has proposed a production target of 36 gigawatts of turbine production each year within the EU. That's effectively a quota, isn't it, which some senior wind industry figures have previously called for. Is a protectionist approach necessary to preserve the EU's wind manufacturing capability? And would you even define this as a protectionist approach? 
Meeting European wind energy targets definitely requires having a sustainable and resilient supply chain. This also means that we need a massive expansion of wind turbine production capacities in Europe, and not just wind turbines. It's about foundations. It's about cables, vessels, substations, everything. So we need an expansion of the supply chain and of the production capacities. I don't believe that I would call it protectionist uh, as an approach, because basically it's really saying, look, we want to ensure that given the very high demand that we are creating in Europe for wind power, we also have the industrial base to be able to actually deliver on it. There is certainly a, a degree of creating a level playing field. So, for example, by setting common sustainability standards related to work conditions, related to biodiversity or to circularity, I think recent years have shown that without sufficient European supply chains, we simply cannot reach our very ambitious wind energy expansion targets. Among these proposals as well, there is the idea of increasing the use of interconnectors across EU member states, allowing them to move renewable electricity easily between countries. This is the first step towards a fully integrated EU energy market. Yeah, interconnectors are crucial for balancing the European energy system and for also further integrating renewable energy. And um, the more interconnectivity we have between markets, it is ultimately also a measure for the most efficient market. What we also need in the future are innovative solutions, such as the so-called offshore hybrids and meshed offshore grids, offshore hybrids being projects where there are wind farms sitting effectively along an interconnector between markets. And these things can further contribute to getting closer to a fully integrated EU energy market. So for this to happen, it is, however, important that the EU creates an enabling framework for these innovative projects. The European Commission's proposal for an electricity market design reform represents a good first step by introducing the instrument of transmission access guarantee, this mitigates one important part of the volume risk. So it provides compensation to the wind farm developer in case of curtailments due to reduced export capacities over the interconnector. So it's a good step in the right direction. Additional instruments such as CFDs or financial transmission rights might be required for certain projects to become attractive, not only to the TSOs who, who have to build the, uh, the interconnectors, obviously, but also to the developers who need to make the investment in the wind farms. Do you see this as part of the EU dream of we're going to do things together, we're going to have this kind of free movement of goods and people and in power? I think it certainly fits with that general direction and that general, uh, you call it a dream of the EU or the ambition, let's call it. But it's not only that, it's also a, an important element for the most efficient use of the offshore wind power resource that we have in Europe and making sure that it's available in those places where then the power is needed and where the power is being consumed. There's going to be some days where certain member states are producing more renewable electricity than their citizens need. And next door, there'll be a, a country where not enough power is being produced for the needs of those citizens. Precisely. And then there will be other days or other situations in the market where it's the other way around. And we need to be able to create a market and a situation which can deal with both. When the measures for the Net Zero Industry Act were first published in March, 
Wind Europe described the proposals as, and I'm quoting here, a timid step in the right direction, which is faint praise indeed. What more is needed from the Act for the wind industry to flourish in Europe and for you to be perhaps more fulsome in your praise for it? The Net Zero Industry Act is a good first step for supporting the wind energy supply chains. But the final version still needs to be decided on by the EU Parliament and the Council. So what we believe is that further financial support instruments for supply chains, including dedicated budgets, should be assessed and all parts of the relevant supply chains. So, for example, also including port infrastructure should be covered because we need all the parts of the supply chain to function and to be sufficient for us to build out plans in wind power. If one part of that chain breaks, that's why it's a chain, then the whole thing actually doesn't work. What we also need is an auction design or auction designs which are fit for purpose, which means we need qualitative criteria but their effects depend on the concrete selection of these criteria and whether they are introduced as bidding or as pre-qualification. So the Net Zero Industry Act still needs to be fine-tuned to provide a very clear and uniform definition of the criteria. But it sounds to me like perhaps a more holistic approach would have been more ideal here. But as you say, if one element of the supply chain isn't performing to the standard that it needs to, then actually the rest of the supply chain will suffer as a result of that. Let's continue talking about the perennial wind industry bugbear, uh, which is permitting, of course. The proposals call for the creation of one-stop shops for permitting in member states. Are you confident that they can find the people needed to speed up permitting? Because it's all very well putting the money and investment into it, but you do need skilled people to staff these offices. How confident are you that this can actually be done on a member state level? Let's differentiate about the permitting for wind farms or the permitting for manufacturing projects. We actually need good and fast permitting and reliable permitting for both. And these single points of contact or one-stop shops indeed are a very important measure. There are some member states where this already exists, but in many others it doesn't. And where it doesn't, it simply complicates the process. It also makes the process less predictable to the developers or the manufacturers for that matter. And that is why it is such an important and beneficial topic and proposal. Of course, as you rightly say, these regulatory bodies need to be adequately staffed and they should also operate as digital as possible, which we also know is not always the case everywhere yet. Your question to the level of confidence in that, let me put it this way. I have a lot of confidence in the ambitions and the targets that the various member states have set out for themselves for wind power build-out, both onshore and offshore. I have a lot of confidence that member states are very serious about these targets and that they want to reach them. The next step is just a logical step for them to be also serious to provide the means that make that possible. So I note there that you said hopeful rather than confidence for the latter part of that. I'm saying that because it's just the subsequent steps and sometimes subsequent steps just take more time. Of course, time is also of the essence, so it should better happen today than tomorrow. That's arguably where I'm a little bit less optimistic that it happens so quickly because the more time is lost, it simply means wind farms will be built later. According to the proposals, clean energy manufacturing facilities would have to be 
fully permitted within 12 months if they'll have an annual production output of less than one gigawatt and within 18 months for those producing more than one gigawatt per year. Is there enough incentive for turbine firms to build factories in Europe when they're currently making record losses? I mean, they're all in a a difficult position, shall we say. Those permitting targets are certainly good. And if those could be achieved, it would certainly be helpful. But of course, you're right, that in itself, that alone won't make manufacturers take investment decisions. We touched upon the Net Zero Industry Act before, and it can certainly positively contribute to the investment decisions across the European wind energy supply chains. For the supply chain to be confident enough to make investments in additional capacity, they need to have the confidence that the volume will be coming and that they have enough access to this market so that they see it actually warrants the investment in additional capacity. So in that sense, the visibility, the the trust, the reliability of auctions of the volumes actually happening is important, which in turn means that these investment decisions also for the developers need to be sufficient so that developers can take their investment decisions. Otherwise, the suppliers say, well, if I'm not sure if the developers actually really take their investment decisions, I can't be sure that I can really sell my product. So all of this hangs together. So once again, the wind industry supply chain is intrinsically reliant on all those other parts in order to be successful, to be profitable and to flourish in Europe. Yes, absolutely. So coming to auction criteria, the Net Zero Industry Act would require member states to include non-price criteria, including environmental sustainability, energy system integration and contribution to resilience of clean technology supply chains. And these would account for up to 30% of the award criteria. Wind Europe has described quantifying resilience in supply chains as complex. And I wonder whether you think this complexity will increase costs for developers and what you think would be a more sensible criteria. In most cases, I would say that qualitative criteria will in some way, shape or form increase cost. However, that doesn't mean that they are not the right thing to do. What we have to be careful about is that we don't introduce qualitative criteria, which are so costly that it becomes prohibitive don't demand 100% system integration from the start, maybe go with a staged approach. We do believe that certain qualitative criteria are desirable for overarching reasons, such as environmental sustainability, circularity in the supply chain, human rights in manufacturing processes. And we therefore also see that the application of certain criteria could certainly also help to strengthen the EU supply chain by creating a level playing field with international supply chain. We would also suggest that the weighting of the criteria should avoid complexity and planning uncertainty so that it's not like a patchwork of criteria being different everywhere. And that obviously would drive up costs ultimately. Indeed, and just increase the complexity overall in an already difficult landscape. Yes. How do you think developers will plan projects differently in the light of this proposal? I think it's a bit too early to say. 
I think what is important is that there is a sufficient transition period for the design of qualitative criteria and including them in upcoming auctions so that both the supply chain and the developers actually have time to prepare for those and make sensible promises. Just give you an example, if you wanted to say, look, you know, from next year onward, you have to promise that you only use completely CO2-free steel I'm just not sure that is a feasible approach. We need to see where the criteria actually land. So a certain transition period, transition time, as uniform across Europe as possible would would be helpful. That would always be helpful, wouldn't it? The legislation proposes an, an academy to upskill workers. What are the skills that the wind industry needs most urgently, in your view? I'm tempted to say it's all of them. <laughs> no, but I would say electrical engineering, engineering in general, technical backgrounds are in very high demand, but also project management skills are in very high demand. I think the idea of, of an academy and the whole idea of upskilling people is, is absolutely correct. However, if you look not just at the wind industry, but look beyond, then I think as Europe, we also have a general challenge of saying, well, will we have enough skilled people in many industries and across many sectors? And from all I'm hearing is, no, we we don't. We definitely have a challenge. So it's not just about upskilling because we would only shift people from one shortage to another. We also have to start looking at migration and immigration as an opportunity much rather than a threat. We need to make sure that we can get people from outside of Europe into Europe and make sure we access a greater pool of skilled workers. We need to attract people from outside the EU zone into Europe with all their skills and offer them high-paid quality Jobs. Yes, because I fear otherwise we're all just chasing the same kind of people and shifting from one shortage to another. Well, are there any other thoughts that you might have on how to meet this challenge? Yeah, I mean, of course, there is also the point about consistent political agenda. We have seen in the past that the rise and fall of the German PV industry, as one example, obviously is something that puts people off sometimes. They maybe were part of the industry, then they were losing their jobs or they were concerned about losing their jobs and they left the industry for other sectors. This is something that we must not repeat. We have to give consistency in political agenda. That is what also attracts people to say, this is a sector I want to work in and uh, perceive us as a future-proof industry. Talking about it generationally for a moment, what would you say to any young people who are listening to this podcast, who are considering what they're going to do after they finish their full-time education? Is there an opportunity there? The opportunities are huge. The whole industry is looking for skilled people. I can only encourage everybody to consider a career in wind energy. It's a fantastic industry. It's very modern. It's very young. It's very dynamic. It's technically fascinating, but it's also commercially fascinating. On top of all of that, it comes with a purpose. Everybody is so motivated by the purpose of saying we want to supply green energy, clean energy uh, to our societies. And that's a fantastic thing. I mean, I have to agree with what you said about how exciting the wind industry is to a potentially young workforce. And indeed, it comes with its own green credentials 
built in, right? Absolutely. And it's something that we clearly feel is appealing to many people, but we also still can do and should do a better job advertising uh, for ourselves. Arguably, there are still parts of the society that see us more as a niche and probably look at more traditional industry sectors. And I think we have to maybe do a better job of making sure young people understand we are there and we are attractive as an industry. Do you agree with that premise of if you can see it, you can be it? Young people, perhaps young women, people from ethnic minorities, looking at wind industry and thinking a lot of guys and not many people from minority backgrounds. Could the wind industry do better in that respect? We definitely have a way to go with regards to diversity. Actually, if I look around, it is significantly improving. If I look around my own organization at RWE, it is actually already pretty diverse. All of that said, if I then look at the statistics, there is no doubt we still need to do a better job. I think this doesn't happen overnight. It does happen, as you rightly say, because people from diverse backgrounds can see an opportunity because they see somebody else that they can relate to. I can see females that have made a a step into the wind industry or have made a career in the wind industry. That is appealing to me and that that is encouraging me. Same with people from different international backgrounds. Uh, The more we can demonstrate, the more it will be appealing to others. At some point, it will become a self propelling or a self-reinforcing effect. But obviously, we need to work very hard to get to that point. Can't come fast enough. So talking about electricity market reform, which is part of the package of measures being proposed, would you expect to see the use of corporate power purchase agreements dramatically increased across the EU if the legislation is enacted as it currently stands? How do you think this would benefit the industry? We definitely need the corporate PPA market to develop further. I think it is evolving. We clearly see that. We see rising interest. We see deals happening. But it needs several pillars. I think the electricity market needs PPAs as one pillar. It also needs CFDs as another pillar. Why are PPAs so important? It is because they have to play a crucial role in the decarbonization of certain energy-intensive industries. And so the final market design reform has to address remaining regulatory barriers to the conclusion of PPAs. And also, it should aim to maximize the number of players that are active and able to sign PPAs on the demand side, also in the direction of small, medium enterprises, for example. That's one thing I think it should do. In regards to the combination of CFDs and PPAs, I think the past years have shown that mixing CFDs and PPAs in one auction design or in one project has shown to be very problematic. So I would rather say that we should have both in separate auction regimes or schemes. You can still have it for in the same country for the same technology, but we would rather have both mechanisms and just split the auction volume to both uh, mechanisms. Don't cross these financial streams, uh, in other words. Yes, yes. Revenue caps or windfall taxes, more commonly known, will end in June this year. And it's probably fair to say that they've not been a popular policy move as far as the wind developers are concerned. Do you think they've harmed the wind industry? And if so, in what ways? It was definitely important and understandable to tackle high energy prices and in particular the impact they have on certain parts of society and consumers and also enterprises. 
We don't believe that revenue caps are the best instrument because they have led to negative impacts on renewable investments. And we have seen that uh, Europe only invested 17 billion euros in new wind in 2022. That is the lowest since 2009. So clearly, it's far too little. And turbine orders went down 47% uh, year on year last year. So we don't think it's it helped the growth of the industry. What is extremely important in our view is that revenue caps must not be permanent. They should be time limited. That's very important. And what we need in this current phase is we need investments security and an evolution rather than a revolution. So we welcome the fact that the EMD proposal aims to build on the strength of the existing market design rather than to completely revolutionize it. The stunted growth of the wind industry in Europe, would you attribute those as measurable effects of windfall taxes being imposed last year? I think it's impossible to really separate it because obviously there have also been other concerns playing into this. Uh, Supply chain disruptions have been there, costs went up at the same time. But in fact, if costs go up because of inflation, because of raw material commodity prices going up, which they have originally triggered by COVID or the recovery after COVID, and then obviously massively increased by the Ukraine war and the repercussions of the Ukraine war, these inflations and cost increases are real. They also won't go away very quickly. In the end, developers and investors, people who take investment decisions in wind farms, have to see probability that they can still earn returns on those massively increased costs. And that can only work with increased revenue streams. There is no other way. And in that sense, I think the revenue caps certainly have increased concerns by investors to say, well, will we actually be able to recover those increased costs from inflation? So I think it was probably more a big dent in confidence rather than saying that the actual absolute level has really meant that uh, developers don't earn money anymore. To correlation rather than causation. Once revenue caps do come to an end in June, hopefully permanently, developers may find themselves in the position where they are hopefully making higher profits from units of renewable energy. And do you think in that scenario, it's likely that they'll reinvest in more projects to your earlier point? I am absolutely confident they will, because if you look at EU's energy transition, today wind is providing around 17% of all the electricity consumed in Europe. And by 2050, the Commission wants it to be 50%. So clearly, there is a massive need for tripling of wind energy. I'm, I'm very confident that developers and investors will make those investments, provided the regulatory boundary conditions are such that these investments can be made in a profitable way. Investors make investments if they can see a positive business case. As always, it's up for governments and institutions to create those conditions in which organizations and companies like yourselves can actually flourish, right? Yes. Let's talk about the component of the EU proposals, which concerns critical raw materials, the ones that the wind industry needs to produce turbines uh, in the future. The Critical Raw Materials Act, as proposed, seeks, among other things, to mandate EU members to recycle 
the permanent magnets in wind turbines. Do you think the proposed legislation is sufficient to help the wind industry? I'm very glad that the topic of critical raw materials is being addressed. I don't think it's perfect what is being proposed, but clearly the right topics are being addressed. So what do we have to address? We have to address removing trade restrictions. We have to help diversification through new raw material partnerships and trade agreements across the globe. And it's streamlining permitting processes for processing plants, recycling plants. That means you need permits to build those plants. So I think it's going the right direction, but uh, whether it's really enough, time will tell. So back to permitting and back to investor confidence once again. Glass fibres were not included among the critical raw materials in the legislation. Was that an oversight? It's not one of those that is most frequently mentioned. Actually, if you do look at wind turbines, then glass fibres are a very important element. Uh, Therefore, yes, indeed, it should be included. If even one component is not sufficiently available, that the expansion targets are at risk. And finally... The proposal set a maximum limit of 65% of imports of any strategic material to the EU by 2030. I wonder how achievable you think that is, given that the EU imported 98% of its rare earth metals from China as recently as 2020. That's a big task, isn't it? It certainly is a very big task. Almost everybody you ask would say, we need supply chains to be resilient to crisis, and therefore they should be diversified. Clearly, that should include the need for expanded European capacities across that whole value chain. Of course, if we do find potential mining opportunities for certain strategic materials in Europe, if we do find ways to produce or to manufacture certain things here in in Europe, then we need the permits for all of that forthcoming. Otherwise, those 65% maximum imports won't be achievable. Ultimately, we can limit imports to 65% or only to 70% or maybe to 55%. Technology will play a role, innovation will play a role to encourage and incentivize industry to invest in the respective research, in the respective technology development, in the respective innovation in order to make this possible. If history has told us one thing, then many things are possible if mankind puts its ingenuity behind it. Indeed, we've been talked very recently that over-reliance on one country for any single product is a bad move, right? Uh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, to, to a degree, you could say, well, look, you know, in business, in economy, it's the same, right? People would look at individual companies and say, well, wait a minute, you are sourcing a critical component or raw material from only one supplier. Isn't that a bit risky? Shouldn't you diversify a bit more? And probably everybody would say, yeah, arguably, maybe you should. But yes, I think we all learned a big and important lesson there. I think we did. Sven Utermann, those are all of my questions. Thank you very much indeed for talking to us on the Wind Power Podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much, Ian. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Wind Power Podcast. We'll be back soon with another episode to explore the issues which are driving the wind industry. In the meantime, for the latest news, expert opinion and analysis, visit windpowermonthly.co.uk for daily updates or to sign up for one of our specialist bulletins delivered straight to your inbox 